Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. My name's Andy Mitten. I'm in Houston, Texas, America. And United are about to play City this evening. Uh, this United We Stand podcast is sponsored by RedArmyBet.com. Have a look at it. It's a new betting site, specifically aimed at Manchester United fans. And I'm in a room where United fans are singing quite loudly. Um, I think most of the people here. What's your name, mate? Tyler. Where are you from, Tyler? Oklahoma City. And how long has it taken you to get from Oklahoma to Houston, huh? About a seven-hour drive. And why did you support United? Why? Oh, a lot of reasons. I uh, started with Roy Keane, uh, the trouble team. I mean, I uh, was fairly young when I first started watching, and, you know, they were always winning, and that's the only team that was on TV at that time, so it was uh, natural, you know. And how many games do you get to watch on television? You watch, you're getting up at ridiculous hours to watch the team play? Everyone. We, uh, we get up, you know, as early as it takes to get to our local pub. It's about a half-hour drive for us, and there's a good group of us that meet downtown, and, yeah, we love it. How are you feeling about this season? I feel good. Um, you know, Lukaku's a big signing. It seems like no one else has really done a whole lot. I guess Murata to Chelsea's a done deal, but no one else has gotten any stronger, so it seems like we'll be in good shape, I think. And describe to people listening to this who probably aren't familiar with the United We Stand podcast um, and, and United support in the US, what's happening here? Well, it's fans from all over the region and the country, really, that are just getting together, drinking beer, singing songs, and having a good time, ready to watch the derby tonight. What's your name? Kristen. Where are you from? Oklahoma City. Why do you support United? Um, because my husband <laughs> introduced me to them 10 years ago. <laughs> so you've driven down, taking you seven hours? Yes. And there are, are there a lot of United fans in Oklahoma City? Yeah, there are quite a few. We can have as many as 50 people turn out for a match. Yeah. Do you know that there is a former United player who works in Oklahoma and is involved in the in the soccer team now. Mark Howard. Mark Howard. I work for the Energy, the pro soccer team. I know Mark, he's a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's Mark Howard. Mark's a Salford lad. Yep. He played out in Denmark. I went to see him there with Adam Eckersley, who was playing out there. Uh, Rennie Mullen's team was also managing for Bromby. And Mark and his wife, Faye, they moved to Oklahoma. And he seems to be really enjoying life in, in the United States. What's your name, mate? Angel. Where are you from, Angel? I'm from Oklahoma City also. Is everybody in this room from Oklahoma City? Just right here. Can I find any can I find anybody from Houston? No, 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 no. And why do you support United? Uh, it's a team of supporters since I was a young kid. So I mean I've had terms of passion, like everything in my life like has revolved around Manchester United. I'm going to have a walk around. It's very nice to meet you all. Take care. Thanks, Andy. Take care. See you later. So, I'm walking. Hello, mate. I'm doing a podcast. Yeah. So, there's a big room filled with hundreds of United fans singing. And they've sort of created a big ring. And if you want to start a song, you jump in the middle of the ring and start singing like... Well, city's going down like they're singing now. Um, a young man just introduced himself to me. What's your name, mate? Sharabel Buzaldi. Yeah? Yes. Where are you from? Originally from Lebanon. But yeah. I've been here in Houston for 28 years. Yeah? Big United fan since 81. That's me right there. And what? Tell, explain to listeners what you're now showing me. 
This one here is called Manchester United Players' Careers. Yeah. It has a and breakdown. it's a book. It's a book. It has. So you've written this book? Yeah. Well, this is a compilation of stats. It's okay. Every single player's career broken down. You know, like this is Hernandez Chicharito. Every season we played four league matches, league okay. goals, cup matches, cup goals. This is United. This is later. This has every single player going back all the way to 1886. And how can people get this book? I'm sorry? How can people get the book? Is it on sale? It's, uh, yeah, you can get it at my website, munitedhistory.com. Okay. So when did you move to Houston? Uh, 1989. And why do you support United? I have no idea why I picked United. I used to have those tops, top cigarette cards. I used to collect them when I was a little kid. And I just liked United. The name was just charismatic enough. I didn't know anything about the history, and then I started getting into it, uh, and you know, I was fascinated, and I just became a bigger and bigger fan from, from 1981. So when did you leave Lebanon? 1989. So we've spoke to United fans in Lebanon, in Beirut, there's quite strong support there, isn't there? When I was there, there wasn't that many United fans, I was like the only one. People used, used to support Bayern Munich because they had the Bundesliga every week. Or maybe they follow Brazil or Germany. Not many people were into Manchester United. But I'm amazed now how many fans there are over there. Especially after the Beckham and Giggs era. That kind of spread the, spread the name over there. What was it like growing up in, in Lebanon? Was it in Beirut where you lived? Yes, in Beirut. There was war going on yeah. all the time. We had to like hide in the basement for days on end. And the only time I'd go outside, I'd tell my dad, I gotta you know, get better reception for BBC so I can get the scores. So you were in the war? Yeah. And you would go outside go just outside, to get reception. Just to get reception so I can listen to you know, the BBC because they had that show once during the day or maybe twice. And if I missed it, I wouldn't know the score. And did you leave Lebanon because of the war? Right, yeah. yeah. The, war, the war was on from 75 to 90. We left just before it finished. We came to Houston. When I was growing up, the word Beirut was a byword for... <laughs> if people said like it's like Beirut, it meant it wasn't positive. And then in 2009, I went to Beirut, oh, yeah. and I thought it was really good. It was, yeah. I thought, you know, obviously the, the war had long finished, um, much of the centre had been rebuilt. Right. It was, a real, it was an attractive city, there was lots of life going on there, beautiful by the, the seafront. I'm not sure that um, Terry Waite, who was from the northwest of England, he went to Beirut in he the 1980s, and he, he, he had an extended stay there, right. and it was a slightly against his will. But, I think he familiarised himself with the radiators which he was tied to for a long, long time. But is there a big Lebanese community um, in Texas? Because a couple of years ago, Manchester United played in um, Michigan, and I stayed in a place called Dearborn, mm -hmm. and it was... There's a lot of Lebanese there, yeah. yeah. In Houston, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot. Uh, yeah. Several thousands, if not like maybe 10, 20,000. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, the, that's the, the curse of the Lebanese generation. They all got dispersed all over the world because of the war. So some came to USA, yeah. all over. That's my brother Roy, he's a big fan too. So, nice to meet you. Nice Why did you support United? You made me do it. Yeah. So you watch games in Houston? Oh, yeah, we watch them all the time, you know. It's, it's a passion for us. You skip work, you skip school, you skip the kids, you skip life. It's all about United. Whether it's at home, at the bar, you know, at the coffee shop, wherever, whenever there's a game on, we're going to be there. Which of our foreign football clubs are popular in Houston? Would Barcelona or Real Madrid be as popular as Manchester United, for example? They are but only to people who don't know anything about soccer. 
you see all these people that have Real shirts on or Barca shirts on and they don't know how to pass the ball because, oh, well, this is what's cool. You know, but the people that really know soccer, you're going to find United fans. Like, That's a very objective opinion. Yeah, you know, yeah, true because you talk to a lot of people and basically you see them on Facebook. Oh, well, who won the Champions League this year? Everybody's wearing a Real shirt. Who wins it next year? Oh, everybody's wearing a Bayern shirt. Oh, well, who won it the year after? It's a Barca shirt. They don't have loyalty. They're all on the bandwagon. Whoever wins, that's who we support. We see somebody today wearing a Barca shirt. A month later, you see him wearing a Real shirt. You don't see that with English fans. They're wearing United. They're going to be wearing United. They're not going to say, oh, well, Chelsea won it. We're going to wear Chelsea. Brilliant. Thank you. Just bumped into former Manchester United goalkeeper Gary Bailey. I spoke to Gary at length in 2006 as part of my book on United in the 80s and it was one of the most popular chapters in the book and it was very different to the other players. And even now, I can vividly remember the interview. Gary was from a, a middle-class, sun-blessed background in South Africa and he came to England and it was a real struggle for him at first. He struggled with the weather. Um, his living facilities were not great if I remember rightly and then in quite a short period of time he broke into United's first team and well, hey, his life changed uh, and here you are over a, a long, long time later eight, two, nine, two. and Manchester United is still part of your life Gary did you ever think when you came to England on these trials that it would be such a constant in your life? Yeah, I no, had no idea I mean you, you sort of go to a club on trial in the hope of being signed um, and even when I signed, I, I was one of five keepers. Because ahead of me was Alex Stepney, Paddy Roach, and there was about three young keepers, of which I was one of them. So even when you're at United, you're thinking your chances of staying long-term look pretty small. Um, once I got in the first team, there was still talk of signing a big goalkeeper. And, and then gradually you, you settle in and you think, OK, well, I'm here for a while. But as, again, as a professional, you don't know how long that while is. It could be a few years. And, and in the end, it was injury that stopped it, unfortunately. Um, yeah, then when you leave, again, you assume that the next goalkeeper comes in in your history. I think what's special about United is, and I don't know if you can hear in the background all the singing, but wherever you go in the world, the following is huge. And, and so as the club's grown, the marketing has grown, the need to have ex-players and legends involved has grown. And so I get, uh, I get pulled out of mothballs every once in a while and, and brought along to an event. I guess mostly because I work on TV, so I can, I can speak quite comfortably. And it's just, it's unbelievable all these 30 odd years later to still find myself sitting with the players like I did in LA on Tuesday. I was sat with uh, Under Herrera, Sergio Romero and Michael Carrick talking about you know, dads and daughters, which is something special Chevrolet are doing. Um, and just awesome to still be part of the club and, and speaking to young players, even though it is about an age gap of 30 plus. So yeah, super privileged and I doubt it would have happened with any other club in the world. I don't think any other club has that sort of following that needs old legend players to, to come along and, and get involved. You're now living in the United States, you're working in the media here, and how would you say that football popularity is growing in the US now? It is growing big time. Um, the, the, the sort of main league, the MLS, is growing, some of the smaller leagues are. Uh, we've got lots of big name players coming over from England, um, and the standard is not bad at all. Um, but it's, it's set up with no relegation promotion, so there's certain things missing that, that stop it from being the way it should be, in my opinion. It's a very USA version of soccer. I mean, you call it soccer here, because uh, obviously football means something else. 
Um, so yeah, they, they've come a long way the USA, but but to live here is awesome. I mean, I get you know I get mates come over one or two of the old players will come to Miami for a holiday, meet up and have a beer. Um, Who like? Well, Kevin Moran was here a couple of years ago. I know Norman Whiteside comes over a lot, and they sort of say, "What's it like living in Miami?" And you go, "You got to seriously ask me that question." You know, sunny, 11 months of the year, warm, safe, lovely warm sea. Uh, I, I jokingly often say to him, it reminds me of Manchester. <laughs> I used to moan like hell about the bad weather. Miami is just the opposite. So yeah, very, very happy with life. Work on a TV station that covers Spanish, Italian and French football. B-E-I-N. B-E-I-N. With K. Yeah, Kay, yeah. Kay so Kay has been a previous guest on this podcast. Oh, right, has she? We spoke okay. to her ahead of a Manchester United Middlesbrough game. Right. And I think she's the only person who's called my bluff because she said to me at one point, and I know Kay, if, if I go through Miami connecting somewhere, I'll, I'll meet up with Kay. And she said to me live, Are you flirting with me, Andy Mitten? And I could feel myself getting really red. And I didn't know what to say. Yeah, but no, yeah. she's, she's a good Middlesbrough girl, Kay. And uh, obviously a, a big Borough fan. If you had to pick out two moments from your time at United, two great moments, what would they be? One has got to be the debut, because you go from playing in the reserves, which you know you get five thousand people turn up at Old Trafford uh, when you're playing reserves, but yeah, you know, small time stuff. And you go and watch the matches, and you you're learning what it's like to you know to play there. Should you ever make the first team? And then one day whatever you know goalkeepers get injured and blah 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 and suddenly you're thrown in and you walk out at Old Trafford in front of 68,000 fans and the very first name they sang was there's only one Gary Bailey and, it was and you're a kid from South Africa yeah 19 years just turned 20 and the Stratford and the singing that yeah they're singing that and I, th- I thought to myself and if I do nothing else in football I've at least walked out as a Man United player and we won 2-0 and we won 5 of our next 6 games we beat Liverpool in the semis and we won an FA Cup final so it was just it went from so little to so much uh, very quickly and one of the funniest things was the um, I had quite a few mates I was staying up in digs in um, uh, Presbury near Heaton Park and I had a few mates all working class lads and I, I didn't know many people so I used to hang around with them in the pub and the day of my debut they said come downtown Manchester and we'll celebrate so um, I go and meet them I walk in this pub and it's half blue half red so this is in Presswich no, no, and no, then... it was in town in, yeah, okay. in, in, in Manchester yeah and, uh, and the blue half start abusing me and calling me all sorts of names. The red half of the pub starts defending me. Next thing a fight breaks out. And brave as a lion, I let her call out the door and get in my car and head home and think, well, that, you know, that was a bit of a fright. I didn't expect that. And on Monday, Dave Sexton calls me in the office and he says, what the hell are you doing wrecking pubs? I said, I didn't wreck any pub. He said, you did. By walking in, you wrecked the pub. So it's cost the club a little fortune in re- you know, repairing broken chairs and what have you. Because you've got to understand that you're no longer just one of the lads. You are now a superstar. And from now on, what you wear, where you go, how you behave, what you say, all has to change. And that's how overnight I went from, you know, reserve team player staying in digs in Heaton Park to a first team player driving a fancy car living in, in Hale or whatever. You know, it's a, it was a huge shift. That was the one game, the one memory. The other was the 83 Cup final. Getting hands-on silverware is important and we'd come close and we came second in the league in 1980. We lost the FA Cup final 79. And um, no one's interested in the sob stories. You know, they want to see your hands on silverware. So when we eventually got it in the replay against Brighton, that was a, a relief. It was like, okay, hopefully from here a lot more starts to flow. I'm reading a book at the moment by Martin Edwards about his life. I can't say too much because I've signed a non-disclosure right, yeah. uh, contract on it. But I think I'm allowed to say that you do get a mention and 
it's you'll probably get several mentions I'm probably 90 pages into the book at the moment but it's in relation to Sir Laurence Olivier oh yes yes um, see this this is where my life got very complicated as you said already I was this young kid from South Africa with a university degree which didn't go down well with the lads uh, didn't understand the culture wasn't a big drinker and was this young goalkeeper where normally you want an experienced keeper then I dated Laurence Olivier's niece um, a lovely lady called Kathy Plowright and her dad David Plowright owned Granada. Granada, yeah. So if you think of the English way of doing things as best I understand it, you've got the very wealthy upper class, you've got the middle class who are degreed and educated and you've got the lower working class who play soccer. I was a soccer player with a degree dating Laurence Olivier's niece. So no one knew where the hell to pigeonhole me if they could at all, you know? And it got super, super complicated. Um, and, and she was great fun. She was, she didn't sort of you know, I guess a footballer's wife or girlfriend knows the rules. She was like, screw the rules, I don't play by the rules. So she dropped me off for England training. She had a gold Mercedes with a convertible. And she drove up to the front door of the England Hotel when all the players were gathered to go for a walk. We were late arriving. I was the last one to turn up. And she said, don't worry, you can be late. I mean, you know, who cares? So she drives up in this fancy gold Mercedes. The entire England squad are looking at me going, what the hell? She walks out, walks up to Bobby Robson, gives him a big hug and a kiss and goes, hi, hi Bobby, I'm, I'm Kathy. And, uh, and I'm dying going, oh my God, she clearly doesn't know the protocol. Uh, but it was great, it was a wonderful that's, moment. That's refreshing. It was, it was so England's refreshing. class system yeah. is not a good thing. Yeah, so that, that was why I found it very difficult to figure out where, where I fitted in. After I wrote the book, one of the other players was Gordon McQueen and you told a story about Gordon where you had an altercation mm. with him in a dressing room at, at Nottingham Forest and Gordon was brilliant in the book. He took me out close to his home in Yarm near Middlesbrough and before we did the interview he said he wanted a couple of quote liveners and, and I'm not a big drinker but after four pints I was allowed to start the interview and seven hours later his wife Yvonne came to pick us up from the train station and she said to her husband, you've been drinking? And he said, yeah, but it's closed season, I'm allowed to drink. And she said, yeah, but you've been retired for 18 years. Six months later, the book came out, Gordon read it, and he rang me up. And he said, I feel bad, uh, I was wrong with Gary Bailey. I should have apologized, I did the wrong thing there. He read, so that clearly, um, he's read what, what you've written and said, you know, this wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, know, yeah. I, don't, I don't blame him, I don't hold any grudges at all, I mean, it's just, part of, of you know solving issues trying to be the best you can be it actually helped me because afterwards um, I realized that I wasn't a natural fighter I mean I, I was I was brave enough to take all the kicks and knocks that a keeper gets but street fighting was something I hadn't been brought up to do so um, I went downtown Manchester and took up street fighting for four years and that, that toughened me up and, and so Gordon in fact did me a favor in that sense because from then on I got stronger I got more aggressive um, I didn't like what I'd become, but it was the only way to survive. Um, In what way? What would you become? Someone who was just as, quite as willing to go over the top and hurt someone as they would be to me. It was not, some, not, 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 a, not a tackle, but like an elbow in the air or a punch. Or, um, so I was always on the lookout for any aggro, and if somebody wanted to give aggro, I was ready to give it back. And it just, it just started to become a little bit too aggressive for me. Um, but you didn't have a choice. In those days, people would batter you in the air. They'd come flying in with elbows and... And, um, and it was allowed, so you, you had to, and that's why always the goalkeeper was the, the big, tough, ugly, broken nose chap, you know. 
because you got smashed all the time. And here I came along university, long blonde hair and, and straight nose, and everyone was very suspicious. <laughs> what, what, what a life experience, looking back on it all, talking oh, about yeah. it now. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think as, as you get older, you, you, you tend to flick over some of the, the less pleasant moments. Because, you know, football's tough. It's like any other business. You're fighting for your place the whole time. And if you don't fit in and you don't have family, it's hard to settle. So it's easy to focus on the tough times. But... It doesn't compare to the privilege of playing for United, the, the dream. I think very few kids ever get to live their dream, and I did in every, in every single way with United. And still do in a funny way 30 years later. Um, the lads that I played with were, were some wonderful footballers, some great characters. That was a privilege. Um, so, yeah, I look back on it and think um, it was amazing. And, and unfortunately, I retired from injury at 28. But again, looking back, it gave me a chance to get into TV, to create a new living, a new income stream, um, which I've been living off for 30 years. So all in all, it worked out, it worked out brilliantly. It, it, I wouldn't want to change much. I'd love it if Manchester had at least two months of summer. That would have been nice <laughs> to get away from. I, don't, I can handle rain most of the year, but not all year round. Um, that was always a bit depressing. And um, yeah, I just wish they had a psychologist back then, someone you could just sit with and say, hey, you know, I'm miles from home, I'm feeling homesick, I'm, you know, how do I deal with this? But back in those days, you know, the only advice they had was, you know, like it or lump it. That was the. It was a macho environment, which yeah. it's not completely vanished from football, but you would get help now. Oh, you get a load of help now. Um, you get a lot of support, and it, it happens all the time. Um, I mean, we had one physio. So, you know, if you had an injury, unless it, you, you were ranked in order of serious injuries. So when you had a serious injury, the physio had time for you. But if you had a you know, sore cough or something, that it might take off a few percent of your sharpness. But it didn't have time for you. You know, if you were ill, you had to go and queue up at the doctor's rooms in Mossad. I mean, you know, today there's a 24-hour doctor on call and travels with you. We had one doctor, Dr. McHugh, where you actually had to go to Mossad and queue up to see him. You know, and unless you were dying in bed, he might come see you. It, it, it's so changed. And um, those times weren't easy times. And I often feel bad when I go back to Old Trafford, because I've lived a wonderful life and money hasn't been too much of an issue. But um, you look at some of the greats, you know, and I'm not going to mention names. I don't want to bring out who might be struggling, but a lot of them are. And yet they were wonderful players, great legends in their time. But for them, they had no skill other than soccer. So how do you recreate an income stream at 35? You know, if you can't get into football, what else do you do? Uh, and it's sad to see so many wonderfully talented footballers struggling to make a living. It's been lovely to talk to you. One of my greatest United moments as a fan was the first ever time I went to Old Trafford. First game. And I was a 10-year-old boy. And it was just seeing the pitch. I went into the Stratford paddock. And you were the first player I ever saw at the first game because you were on that pitch warming up. All right, yeah. And it was this green oasis in the middle of Trafford Park where my dad worked. I was, I'd grown up in Stratford and Ermston. Just that vivid green pitch. I couldn't believe how anywhere could be so green and pristine. Manchester in the early 80s was a pretty dark place. It's much better now. It's a much better city. But uh, yeah, you you the goalkeeper when I was growing up and it's been lovely to talk to you. Glad things are working out well for you. And I hope you continue to enjoy the rest of the tour. Well, thanks, Andy, and appreciate all your writing and everything else you do. It's, uh, it's great to have somebody reflect on our, our history and uh, our life. So keep it up. Good work. 
in Houston walking towards the giant NRG stadium. I'm in the car park. There's United fans set up tailgating. One of them's clearly blitzed. Um, on the right hand side is the Houston Dome, which I think was the first indoor soccer stroke sports arena in the world when it was built in the 60s. It held over 70,000. And I'm with Tom Clare. Tom's a Mancunian. He's lives in, lived in Houston for a long time. Tom's written books about Manchester United. How many books have you written, Tom? All of them about United? All of them, yeah. A lot of them about the, the babes and... A lot of them about the babes. One of them was uh, like a tour book. It was called the United Tour of Manchester, which was... Uh, we identified... I wrote it with Ian McCartney. With 85 places we identified in and around Manchester that had a connection with United, and some, some of them were quite strange. Such as? Uh, well, one of them was Bramall Hall, uh, the old, the old uh, victim, well, the medieval building out at Bramall in Stockport, which was... Let me guess, it was the home of the former chairman, John H. Davis. That's correct. And he invited the players there to yeah. celebrate the league title. That's correct, yeah. I read that last week. And also... I was uh, researching it. The Village Hotel in Didsbury. Go on. That was owned by his wife, and they had a house on there, and that's where she moved to after he died. Ah, okay. So where the village hotel and squash club is, is the site of uh, John Henry Davis's second home. How do you feel about Manchester United coming to what's now your hometown? It's absolutely marvellous. Um, you know, I mean, this is special because it's a derby game. And obviously, there's no such a thing as a friendly in a derby. It's, it, it will be competitive and... Uh, It'll be great for these people here who don't realise the significance of what a derby game is. You know, they, they try and um, you know, put it to, as though it's the Texans and the Dallas Cowboys, but there's not an atmosphere like this. And it will be something that they've never seen before, you know, and it's, it's going to be terrific. Does City have any fans here? I mean, we're walking very, to the ground few. now. Very, very few. In fact, in all my time here, I've only seen five. Uh, we, you know, the derby games that we, we play and the cup games we've played against them, there's never been more than five, five City fans there. And uh, the only time we did see a few was when they won that first championship, which we gifted to them. Tell me and, about and, it. And there was quite a few there, you know, and, uh, but they soon went back into the woodwork. What's the greatest United player you saw, Tom? Duncan Edwards, without doubt. Why? He's the greatest. People ask me this question, Andy. Um, to me, who is the greatest? What is the criteria? For me, Edwards was the best all-round player. The beauty about Duncan was that you could play him anywhere, from number two through to number eleven, and he, he would still shine in what he what he did. He was just such a gifted uh, young player, and for a big lad, he was so quick. His natural abilities, uh, his enthusiasm for the game. Uh, and, and he would he would impose himself on games uh, and he was just such a wonderful kid you know he lived to play football and people say about players being tired but in 1957 he played 105 first class games what was the first game you went to the first uh, the first uh, senior game I went to was on the 1st of September uh, 1954. It was a Wednesday night, United versus Sheffield Wednesday, and we won 2-0 with Dennis Violet scoring the goals. You're, can you remember it? Yeah, remember it as though it was yesterday, and I'll tell you what was funny about it. I'd been going 
since I was five years old to reserve teams and youth teams and um, it, it, it was difficult and my father was blind so he could never take me and it used to piss me off that you know kids had come into school on a Monday you know about what they'd seen and what they hadn't seen and so I determined that I would go uh, to this particular game and I'd saved my pennies up and, and it, it's interesting actually because I lived in Cholton Medlock and I I actually slipped out of school on the Wednesday afternoon because there was no floodlights then and the kickoff was at 6.15. I slipped out of school, walked to All Saints, I got the 49 bus up to Old Trafford to get off at the Trafford pub, that was two pence. I walked down to the ground, I walked all the way around the ground, I could tell you every poster and every marking that used to be on them walls. Came back up and the uh, the old Dog and Partridge pub was then, it was a chip shop, where, where the uh, Star Sports shop is, that used to be a chip shop. And I got in there and I got fish and chips for seven pence. And I sat on the Dog and Partridge steps and ate my fish and chips and I could tell it was different because there was more people coming and coming and coming. Let's, you know? let's get into the ground here, I'll just pause it for one second. Walking around the stadium, there's the vast majority of fans are United fans, I'd say it's about 80 20. Yeah, probably less. Yeah, maybe. And Tom, you've been asked twice if you're Sir Alex Ferguson. Have yeah. you ever been asked that before? Many times, many, many times. I get it all the time here. We even had it at Old Trafford. You know, I think it is a slight. There's a funny story. Um, a few years ago, I had to go to Carrington to get Sir Alex to sign a, a jacket that I was auctioning at a, a dinner there. And he, he was absolutely brilliant. He, he signed a jacket, got some of the players to do it. And as I came out of the gate at Carrington, there was about 300 Chinese. And I, I was in the parking lot across, across the road from the gate. And as I walked past the lot, the minute the Chinese saw me, they descended on me. I, I ended up engulfed with all these Chinese who thought I was Sir Alex. We're in a pub after the game. United have won the derby. 2-0. This is no, no, no. Luke Shaw. It, it always yeah, makes well, it. I'm recording it now. Alright. Speak to Speak to Are you mates with Luke Shaw? Oh, well, I've watched him since he was a young kid, yeah. Yeah? Best kid to come through at Southampton by a country mile. You're Southampton fan? I am, yeah. Very good. Country mile. Hopefully. Oh, well, I remember him coming to Old Trafford uh, as a 16-year-old. And him and Morgan Schneidlin were brilliant. Played really, really well. I watched them under 18s smash Man United 4-2 yeah. when Pogba was their first time round. And honestly, without you know a fear of uh, sort of nepotism or whatever it's called, Saints absolutely smashed them. Absolutely smashed them. So in a bar uh, with a Southampton fan and a couple of United fans as well. Martin, you've been a regular, semi-regular on the podcast last season. The last we heard from you on the podcast was outside Tottenham away when there was an altercation nearby and you walked towards it, I think to offer some form of diplomacy. Don't look at me like that. What did you make of the game tonight? The game was great tonight, although we didn't see much of it. But we were spending most of our time trying to um, get some drinks here and there and some food. But as it happened, it was, it was good because found somewhere, pretty good hospitality. Did you see any of the game tonight? Oh, of no. course we've seen it, oh. 
Yeah? No. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Have be you honest. come to Euston to watch United? Did you see any of the games? We yeah. saw absolutely fuck all of the games. Back in a minute. Who scored for United? Uh, Lukaku. Yeah. And uh, Rashford. <laughs> well done. I just answered the question. Jealousy. Um, yeah, play, I don't know where you pulled that from. I do not know where you pulled that from. Tell me about your trip. Right, well the trip so far is, I think we're in day three of an eight day trip. So we've gone to uh, Vegas, Manchester Vegas. Had two nights in Vegas. Decided last night that I wasn't going to get on the flight to Vegas, <laughs> to um, Houston. Yeah. So I decided to go to the airport yeah. and have a kip at the airport instead. You went to sleep at the airport? Yeah. In Las Vegas? Yeah. Rather than your hotel? No, because you never booked the old cell phone. So you didn't night. have an hotel, so you went to sleep at the airport and what happened? You mean you missed your flight? No, no. You mean you missed your flight? No. You I, I chose not to get the flight. <laughs> so in the morning, after um, I woke up, I uh, went to the United Airlines check-in desk and said to them that I've missed the flight. And the lady was so helpful, she said, um, no problem, sir. She went, um, where you want to go? I said, Houston. So she went, Right, if you've got to go there an hour earlier, you have to fly to LA first and change. So I said, yeah, how much will that be? He said to me, it was nothing. Do you miss your flight, but they give you a free replacement? Yeah. And what happened with that Tottenham fan in May, who you, who you went to talk to? Well, I shouldn't really be saying this on, um, you know, like, what's this called? Social media thing. All I seen was um, a Tottenham fan, a United fan, and we just went to have a chat with him just to make sure he was all right afterwards. Okay. Yeah. A form of uh, vigilance. That, that's good, that's good, that's good. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to leave Houston now. I'm going to go over to Santa Clara to watch United against Real Madrid. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and some of the variety of people on it. What are you doing next, Martin? Um, we're back to Vegas for another night out. If you don't miss your flight. No, we won't miss that one. And then we've got, um, we're going to uh, San Jose on uh, Saturday. Yeah. San Francisco one night, Santa Clara the next night.